Ogumbawale for the win. Hello and welcome to Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Megdahl. Reminding you, you can follow us on Twitter at LockdownWVB. You can listen to us every single day. The great Lindsey Gibbs, Erica Ayala, you name it. Every single day, women's basketball coverage. And you can also get that coverage, by the way, at The Next, which is where I edit, and where our guest today, Bailey Johnson, writes about the Atlanta Dream. Hi, Bailey. Nice to chat with you. Hi, Howard. Thanks for having me. Do you have any objection to the fact that I call you the machine on a regular basis? Because you tend to file things regularly, on time or early. You do it in just a few minutes, and it's clean copy. It's it's a, the machine is the wrong way to call you because I've used a lot of these electronic uh, transcribing systems, for instance, whether it's Otter or the like, and you're much better than they are. <laughs> I don't have any objections to it. It kind of makes me chuckle. Fair enough. Well, it, it is a pleasure and an honor. And before we get into it, another honor is I'd like to talk about our paid sponsor, which is Built Bar. Built Bar, which now has six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, it's cherry garcia, but it's a bar, see, right? Lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Thing to remember about Built Bars, they are healthy. 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams net carbs, and some of them, some of them only 4 grams of sugar and 4 grams of net carbs. If you want to try them, there is a Built Bar promo code, capital Locked On, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, and you get $10 off your order. Built Bar. Now, let's talk about a very interesting week in the WNBA, and both on and off the court, this continues to be just as you wrote about after you put it, uh, put out a wonderful piece, which is how inspirational it is. But the last couple of days have been a whole different caliber of both inspiration and I would argue direct action by these players. So can you take us through what happened now two days ago, Wednesday afternoon, and how we went from having basketball to having no basketball? Yeah, so, you know, the day kind of started with the Milwaukee Bucks deciding to boycott their game, and then the rest of the NBA games followed suit that day. Some baseball games didn't play as well, and there was sort of a sense that if these leagues aren't playing, <clears throat> certainly there's no way the WNBA will, because they've always been at the forefront of this kind of social action. Mm -hmm. um, so the first game of the night was supposed to be Atlanta versus Washington at 7. Um, Washington came to the arena with, T-shirts that spelled out Jacob Blake and seven bullet holes painted in the back, which was an incredibly powerful image. Um, and sort of as soon as they got there, they got on the court to talk about what they wanted to do. And then as the other teams arrived, they all came together to discuss their plan. It took a little more than an hour. It was a really passionate conversation from everything I've heard. There were some conflicting opinions. Some players wanted to play. Some really didn't feel like they could. So in the end, they made the unified decision to do what was best for those who didn't feel ready to play. And decide not to play that night um and then at the top of the hour at seven o'clock on espn2 in front of you know a national audience elizabeth williams from the dream read the league's statement about why they'd chosen not to play and what they were going to do and every player on the teams that were supposed to play that night knelt with their arms linked as well as all the support staffs from the teams it was 
one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. You know, it's so interesting to me, two things, both individuals in this moment that we've been seeing in 2020 for the WNBA and what led up to it, and also just the extent to which there is this unified front from all the players. And I'd like to take each in turn. And so let's start with some individuals. Elizabeth Williams, such an interesting figure to me. You know, this is this very scholarly person, this person who, and she's told us, she would be a doctor if not for the fact that, you know, she's really good at rebounding and finishing around the rim. And so I expect she probably will be a doctor when this is all said and done. But it lends a certain gravity to me, to the way she speaks and how she speaks. And I wonder what role you think that plays as a leader on a team where there are a lot of disparate personalities. There are a lot of personalities on this team, and I almost wouldn't say she's necessarily one of them. She's one of the quieter players, always has been. She's an incredibly strong leader, but very much is the type to lead by example and mm -hmm. isn't the Renee Montgomery or the Tiffany Hayes that's going to get in front of everybody and be loud and you know call them all together. And I think that makes her more powerful when she's reading statements and stuff like that because it's not necessarily in her nature mm -hmm. to be at the forefront in terms of the one speaking. Obviously, she has her own opinions and has always been very, very thoughtful with how she chooses to share them, but being the one speaking and leading the charge in that way isn't necessarily in her nature. Um, I was blown away by the statement she read that they had all written together and I do think it adds an interesting element to it that she is, tends to be a quieter player and is like really feeling compelled to step up right now. And notice too that she is on the executive committee. I mean she is taking on that role even though it doesn't, like you said, and she's talked about this, it doesn't come naturally to her. She isn't necessarily or hasn't necessarily always been comfortable with that. But she said... Yeah, I think it really speaks... Yeah. Please, go ahead. No, I was going to say it really speaks to how she's sort of come into her own as a player. You know, she's pretty <clears> deep into her career at this point as becoming a veteran, and I think she is feeling more comfortable with doing that kind of thing. I know she got involved with the executive committee because she is a total nerd about the CBA and really wanted to be involved in those negotiations and help with that. And that has kind of carried over into her having a more vocal leadership role in the league. As a fellow nerd, it makes, it does my heart good to see somebody uh, excelling in this role like that. After speaking with representatives from teams playing tonight, as well as our WNBPA leadership, the consensus is to not play in tonight's slate of games and to kneel, lock arms, and raise fists during the national anthem. This is, of course, Elizabeth Williams' statement. We stand in solidarity with our brothers in the NBA, and will continue this conversation with our brothers and sisters across all leads, and look to take collective action. Let's put this in a little bit of context, if we can. The league agreed to a new collective bargaining agreement with the players. The players had more than 90% participation. We didn't get a full accounting of exactly what the vote was, but it was very clear, both in my private conversations with people who might have objected, as well as the large, large number of people who didn't, that the league was unified. I'm, I mean the league's players specifically. I think to the players as the league in some fundamental ways. And I wonder how much you think that has carried over at a team level that there was this level of organizing 2019 into 2020 uh, in terms of finding that unification here at a moment where we're challenged 
everyone is challenged like we never have been before. Yeah, I think it helps, first of all, just from a purely logistical standpoint that they are used to having these sort of group conversations and they know how to get things done as a group. And I also think that having that power where they did get a lot of the things that they wanted in the CBA sort of made them realize how much power they can wield and the ability they have to make change and create the things to be the way they would like them to be. And I think that really helps a lot with all of this. They know that they've got the league on their side. I mean, Kathy Engelbert said Wednesday night that this is a player first initiative and they're going to support them in any way that they can. And I don't know that that's necessarily always how the WNBA leadership would have looked at things. So I think that's a really important change. As somebody who was in the locker room with the New York Liberty on the day that the, that the league had announced, this was back in 2016, that they would find players for wearing t-shirts in support of racial justice. I can assure you that the league has come a very long way. And so it's fascinating to see. I mean, you, you know, you talk to players who were veterans back then and, and, and they chuckle in the same way that they think about just how far, listen, just how far the country has come, but the WNBA as a leader had to be first. And, and really, it's a fateful decision. It goes back to the tenure of Lisa Borders. But you just think about how untenable it would have been for this league to be on the opposite side from its majority women of color playing group. And it, it just wouldn't have worked. It just wouldn't have happened. You, there, there may well have not been a league when it was all said and done. And so... It's good to see the lead do the right thing, and we certainly aren't going to lay at the feet of Kathy Engelbert decisions and mistakes that were made prior to this. And even Lisa Borders owned up to those mistakes when she corrected them and changed the direction of the league. But it's fascinating to think about that certain tone-deaf leadership in other leagues, I'm looking at UMLB, I'm looking at UNFL, would not have stood here in the WNBA. And, and so it reminds me of a thing that you pointed out in your piece. And you talked about Tiana Hawkins' son, Emmanuel, who's there, who's right at the center of this. There are these reminders for these players of just what the stakes are right there in person, even amid the bubble in Bradenton, Florida. And I wonder how much you think those small reminders of the larger outside world help play a part in what these players are saying and doing. I think it's huge because like you said, they are in a bubble, you know, they're removed from their families. They're removed from sort of the social factors of being people in America. They're at a hotel, you know, getting on the bus to go to the rain or go to the arena and just, you know, in the bubble. And I think having, you know, a young black boy, Tiana Hawkins son in the middle is a very stark reminder for them of, what this all means and what the future needs to change to be because none of them want him to be the next Jacob Blake. And I think that's really important for them to have those sort of reminders and know that it is so important, even while they're in the bubble, to be making these kind of statements and taking this kind of action. You know, the players, so many of them have experienced racism in this country firsthand. For someone like myself, I, I am a white man. I grew up in the suburbs. This has been something that experientially 
has happened at a level of remove. And so I can hear the stories and I can listen and I can have those anti-racist conversations with my children and with my wife and we can all understand the ways in which we can recognize and call it out and do better within our own community. But there is a certain need to lead when you are the head coach of a team. And Nikki Collin, and you and I have spoken off the air about this, but Nikki Collin's role in this is, I would argue, singular in any league. I mean, certainly in light of the fact that the Atlanta Dreamer owned by somebody who has been uh, negatively disposed towards the movement, uh, to put it mildly, and pays Nikki's salary. And Nikki is the head coach of a team that has taken direct action. Taken direct action for the opponent of the team's owner in the center race. It's, it's just this impossibly untenable position. And so, but she's made it work. And so I want to read a little bit of what Nikki said to you uh, when, when you were reporting this story. And then I want to talk about Nikki's role here. I think there were people that felt this very personally. And I think there were people that feel like they're allies in this. But either way, I've always said we're not the NBA. We're kind of small, but we're mighty. Our support staffs are small. We all do more with less in this league. And when we do something, we have to do it together. I think it was another moment for not just the players, but the support staffs to link arms and to say we're speaking for each other. Pretty powerful. I think there were a lot of players with heavy hearts tonight. There were players that were willing to play, and there were players that probably weren't. But I think they did what was best for the majority. How, how do you read how Nikki Collin figures out where the ethical center, where the moral center is, and where the emotional center is for her players? I think, and she's sort of, you know, been taking on this role since they got into the bubble and Kelly Loeffler made that first statement about being against the Black Lives Matter movement. Nikki has had a very clear understanding that while she works for the team and Kelly pays her salary, her job is to lead her players in whatever way they need to be led in that moment. Something she brings up a lot is the concept of being a servant leader and allowing them as adults strong women with voices of their own to speak for themselves and her to support them in any way that they can. And I think that's where she's come down on this. She is a hundred percent in with her players. She supports them with anything that they want to do. And so I want to read, if I can, what Nikki had to say about that, which I think that really highlights it. I know that was significant to both of us. This is my opportunity to be more of a servant or a servant leader than it is to speak for them, she said. These are strong adult women that have voices of their own. Certainly my job as a coach is to prepare them to play basketball, but when it comes to decisions about their lives and what matters to them, this is my opportunity to stand alongside them and in some ways to support them from behind. Even tonight, I had told Elizabeth before all this happened that I may have opinions, but this is not the time to share mine and that it was a time for them to have a collective voice and for me to support that voice. I think there's a time to lead and a time to serve, and I think a good leader does both. What do you think it is about Nikki that allows her to understand that? I know prior to being in Atlanta, she was an assistant coach with Kurt Miller in Connecticut, but a lot of her background is college coaching. So this is a very different type of interacting with players. It is very different, but I also think that that college experience 
is what lends her to have the relationship with the players that she does. <clears throat> because in college, you're a lot more connected to their lives. And I think that is something that she really internalized and really, you know, obviously she's their coach and she pushes them. But at the end of the day, I think she has a phenomenal relationship with every player on that roster. And the way she coaches them reflects that. She wants the best for every single one of them every night. And she wants to be like their partner and their supporter in making that happen. And I think some of that does come from her college experience and sort of being closer to her players than maybe the classic professional coach where they just come to practice for a couple hours and then leave for the rest of their day and you don't see them again until tomorrow. I would have to think that this experience in the bubble is going to make a difference for them as well. Absolutely. You know, <clears throat> they're with them every single day, all day, every day. Again, very different than you come to practice for a couple hours and then you leave. And I think it makes it really hard to not have a pulse of what your players want and yeah. just want to support them because you're just around them so much more. You know on such a deeper level what's more important to them than what they truly want. Now they are, as of right now, they're returning to basketball. And the Dream are not a playoff team by the standings as of right now. But they're not out of the mix. And in many ways, this is a team that simply hasn't been whole for a very long time. I mean, you can go back to 2019, and Tiffany Hayes was injured, playing through injuries for most of the year. Angel McCautry uh, did not play in 2019, except for a ceremonial minute at the very end of it. And this revamped team that was supposed to look very different has had a little bit of a delayed start. You know, how close to the way in which the dream were envisioned in 2020 are they at this point, they're getting closer. They <clears throat> should get Kennedy Carter back for tonight's game. It's been almost three weeks since her injury, and if they had played Wednesday night, she was expecting to play. Um, so that helps. Kennedy coming back. They still don't have Renee Montgomery. They still don't have Tiffany Hayes, two players that have been really key for them for a number of years now. And so even with getting Kennedy back and getting this roster as close to whole as it's going to be for now, it still isn't the team they expected to come into this year with. And there's still some missing pieces and still some things that are trying to come together. And Nikki said the other night after they beat Minnesota for their first win in quite some time, that even in a normal season, if they'd had Renee and Tiffany, if they'd not had a pandemic, if they'd had a full training camp and everything that would go along with a normal year, she still didn't think the team would have been good at the beginning of the season, mm -hmm. just with the number of new pieces they were adding and how everything needed time to work out. So, I think being in the bubble and having everything change up has sort of slowed down their progression a little bit, but it's not surprising to me to see them playing better basketball of late. And even before they got that win over Minnesota, they took LA to overtime. They played close against Washington now more than a week ago. You know, the games have been getting better and getting closer as they've gone, and I think that's really important to them. You and I both remember in 2018 where the Atlanta Dream got off to a slow start and eventually finished strong were within a game of reaching the WNBA Finals and had a tremendous second half. Again, that speaks to my mind, and I would suspect to yours as well, to Nikki Collins' ability to organize her team, Nikki Collins' ability to figure it out as they go and to maximize what they're able to do. So this is a, a team, a group, and a coach with a demonstrated ability to finish strong. Do you think the pieces are now in place for them to potentially make a run, whether it's enough when you're two and a half games out of the final playoff spot or not, and eight games to go, that's some daunting math, because uh, other teams have to lose too. You can't just win out and that's enough. 
but do you think this team has within it the ability to go and finish the way it will be necessary to challenge for a playoff berth? I don't know that they're going to make the playoffs. I certainly think they'll make a little bit of noise down the stretch. And they've also got a slightly more favorable schedule towards the end. They had one of the longer stretches of playing games every other day in the league. So I think that weighed on them. Um, it'll really depend on how good Kennedy is when she comes back. Ankle sprains are a tricky injury. I have personally sprained my ankles numerous times. And I know that even when, you know, you're ready to go back to activity and stuff, the comfort of the comfort level with the things that she needs to do to be successful and what we've seen from her so far may not be there and I'm kind of speculating on that but I wouldn't expect her to look exactly the way she did before she got hurt and mm-hmm. I don't know if with a couple weeks left in the season there will be enough time for her to get that comfort factor back on the court so I certainly think they'll look better in these last few games but I don't know that at this point it'll be enough for them to make the playoffs. It is a very valid point very reasonable about ankles I will also say Kennedy Carter, who is just fundamentally her own person and does things I haven't seen a lot of people do, and reminds me so much of, I I feel like the WNBA has a talent Iverson now. I say this is somebody who uh, watched him when I was a teenager, and that's the memory I have, is it's that next level athlete, that's where she is. But I watched her last year come back from missing, I want to say, nine games off the top of my head uh, with Texas A&M. I believe she scored 35 for first game back. So it may just be that because it's Kennedy Carter, the normal ankle rules don't apply. I don't mean to suggest that you weren't every bit the ball player that Kennedy Carter is. I've never seen you play, so it's hard for me to say. I am absolutely not. Kennedy Carter is a significantly better athlete than I am, and <laughs> she does everything on her own terms and does not take no for an answer at any point in her life. So it would not shock me to see her come back and drop 35, but I was trying to be a little bit reasonable. No, it's, it's totally fair. And, and as somebody who definitely is not anywhere close to the athlete that Kennedy Carter is either, I, I concur that it will be fascinating to see. Well, Bailey Johnson, where can people see your work uh, the next and beyond, you know, take us through how people can follow everything that you're doing because I, I love everything that you're doing and I'm so excited about the path that you are taking in this business. Well, thank you for that, first of all. Um, yeah, at the next, I'm, you know, always popping up there. I'm on Twitter at Bailey A. Johnson underscore. That's a good place to find me. Um, I have a data-driven college hockey newsletter called Fresh Ice that you can also find on my Twitter. And I pop up around other WNBA places from time to time, but mostly the next is where I'm at. Please hear me, listeners. Follow Bailey and follow her career. She's on her way to doing great things and is doing great things already. Bailey the Machine Johnson, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me.